0: Would you all do me the favor and bow with me in prayer? Father God, this is a huge day in the life of this local church. It's a huge day for all of us here together that call Scottsdale Bible Church our home. And God, as we've been hoping and praying and planning for years, we want to deflect all glory and honor and praise to you, as those two songs just did for what you have done in 50 years of ministry here at Scottsdale Bible Church. So Lord, we want to celebrate that a bit now through your word and receive some encouragement and some challenge, and we pray, God, that as we do, that you might be pleased, that you might smile upon us, that we might sense your smile, and that, Father, we might go out of here uh, a bit more joyous, a bit more encouraged, and even a bit more challenged than when we came in. So, Father, we yield this time to you right now, this entire service, our lives as well. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, 50 years. 50 years of ministry, 50 years of. Always vibrant, but not always easy ministry here in the valley. That's what we're celebrating here today. Fifty years of winning, building, and sending, or as Daryl would say so often, coming, growing, and going. Fifty years of following God as a local church and experiencing His movement in our midst as a result. And as many of you know, we've chosen to celebrate God's goodness as well as challenge ourselves in the present and for the future by pausing a few times this year and allow the words of Jesus to the seven churches of Asia Minor as contained in Revelation 2 and 3 to encourage and challenge us. Uh, We're going to be doing other series of messages this year, but we're going to pause at key times throughout this year and allow the seven messages to the seven churches in Revelation to speak to us. And as you also know, we've asked our five previous senior pastors to come to us throughout the year and to each take a section of Revelation and share with us the encouragements and the challenges So Jim Boer, our founding pastor from 50 years ago, is going to be with us here in just a few weeks in February. Cheryl Babb in March, Don Sanukian in May, and then Daryl Del Hussein in September, though you're going to see him before then, and then Larry Anderson in October. And I got to tell you, it's going to be a great year. I am so excited to hear what these men have to share with us as a church And I get the privilege today of starting off the book of Revelation, actually chapters two and three, by taking the first letter to the churches, the church in Ephesus. And so look up here at the screen at how this whole thing begins in Revelation chapter two, verse one. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, we know from the context here that the hymn is referring to Jesus. Jesus is speaking to the angel of the church at Ephesus. It tells us in chapter 1, verse 20, that the speaker is Jesus and that the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches and that the seven lampstands are indeed the seven churches. And this first letter is written to the church in Ephesus. And folks, if there was ever a parallel to Scottsdale, I'm telling you it was Ephesus. It was Ephesus 2,000 years ago. Look up here on the screen. Just so you get your bearings straight, Ephesus, where that red star is there, is where Asia is right now, separated from Europe. And it's where modern-day Turkey is right now, just near the Greek islands. So you see Athens there across the Aegean Sea. You see Ephesus there. And Ephesus, 2,000 years ago, was about a quarter of a million people about the size of Scottsdale it was a thriving trade route back then in Greco-Roman times lots of business activity it was culturally sophisticated politically involved spiritually confused a lot of commonalities with Scottsdale today In fact, as some of you know, I was uh, in Ephesus this last March with about 80 people from our church. We were doing a tour of the seven churches, and like most tourists, I had what around my neck? A camera, and I took a lot of pictures of Ephesus. I'm just going to show you a few so you can start to picture what the angel is, or what Jesus is speaking to, to the angel here. So give me the first click. This is the main drag in Ephesus. And as you're going down the main street there toward the famous library that you see There at the end of the street in Ephesus, you will pass temple shrines and courts and marketplace shops, even a theater. I mean, just picture a thriving city and marketplace for the Greco Roman world. That was Ephesus 2,000 years ago. And then show me another picture here, guys. These are the upper middle class condominiums in Ephesus. I'm telling you, if your house lasts 2,000 years and they're showing them pictures of it 2,000 years from now, you got a well-built house. But these are the condominiums that they're excavating right now that were furthermore well-to-do in Ephesus. And to show you how nice they were, show me the next picture here. Here are the mosaic floors that have lasted 2,000 years. If your tile lasts 2,000 years, you got good tile. Uh, But this was just some of the the, the wealth that existed in Ephesus at that time. And then give me another picture here. This is your illustrious associate pastor, Pat Sullivan, pretending he's a Greek statue. And I don't know if you can see it or not, but there's a gal in the background to the left named Jan, and she's got to be thinking, I can't believe I'm associated with this man. But Pat made the trip really fun. And I'm looking at this next picture to give you a taste of Ephesus. Does anybody know what these are? Yep. You guessed it, these are the bathrooms in Ephesus. This was before they invented stalls, which I'm convinced led to the downfall of the Roman Empire. (laughs) And this is our group. I asked them all just to to sit on there. You see Pency Culver and the others there, and uh, and we took a picture of us in the bathrooms at Ephesus. And then probably most most breathtaking at Ephesus, show me another picture here, is the famous stadium. This is a famous stadium built into the hill of Mount Pion there in Ephesus, and it seats 25,000 people, and you can hear in every seat what the person is saying without electricity. The acoustics are perfect. It's about two and a half times the size of Scottsdale Stadium, but they had their own stadium back then. And then the last picture is this is us at the stadium being taught by one of my mentors for 25 years, Ludd, my pastor from where I came from, and he's teaching us in this stadium about Paul the Apostle and his journeys to Ephesus. And and, and so you start to, to get the idea just from these few pictures. A thriving city full of life and activity, full of haves and have-nots, a politically active, spiritually diverse, culturally cutting-edge, well-educated in Greek philosophy city. And we know from Acts chapter 18 and 19 that Christianity was brought to Ephesus probably around 52 AD, maybe through the ministry of Aquila and Priscilla, and that Paul the Apostle spent two years in Ephesus establishing the church, complete with solid teaching, discipleship training, and then setting up elders to carry on the work after he left. And it was quite a ride for them. In those early days, they had to learn truth and doctrine associated with their newfound faith in Jesus Christ and how it related to the Old Testament. They had to learn to be unified and loving. If you've read the book to the Ephesians, you know that that's the theme in that book in the midst of a very, very confusing and not-so-friendly culture. And they had to learn to reach out to the Romans, to the Greek, to the Jews, to all the diversity in the culture around them. Don't miss this, folks. Just like us, they had to build the church in this growing town and build it in and through the culture that they found themselves in, in the midst of the marketplace, the temples, the shrines, the political activity. They had to build the church right where God had planted them. And what you need to know is that for the last 50 years, this is precisely what Scottsdale Bible Church has been doing. I'm telling you, the parallel is amazing when you do a parallel to what happened in Ephesus. Now, before we read on in Revelation 2, the words to this church, I want to review a little bit the early years of our church. And to help us do this, our 50th anniversary leadership team has spent months putting together what I think is an amazing video documentary, and we've broken it up into two parts, the first 25 years and then the last 25 years. And so look up here on the screen now, and let's all get a taste of the early years of this church that we call home.
1: Scottsdale Bible Church is having a milestone birthday this year, and we thought it was a great excuse to celebrate. Fifty years ago this week, a handful of couples gathered with their kids, their Bibles, and their deep devotion to the Lord Jesus for the first official worship service of Scottsdale Bible. Today, we officially mark the beginning of our church's 50th anniversary celebration. We'll be going on a brief video journey as we remember our heritage, Rejoice in the many ways that God has blessed SBC over the past 50 years. And most importantly, renew our vision and commitment as we move into the next season of ministry God has prepared for us. Scottsdale Bible Church has enjoyed a rich spiritual journey because from the beginning it was built on values that kept us dependent upon God and trusting in Him for our future. Values like an absolute and unwavering commitment to the teaching of His Word passionate and relevant worship, stability through elder leadership, and the deliberate outreach of the gospel into the world. I have a feeling, however, that the 7,000 people who worship here each Sunday would be quite surprised to see how far God has brought this church in the five decades since it began. In fact, SBC was founded when 13 people from Biltmore Bible Church met together in a private residence in what we now refer to as South Scottsdale.
2: There were a group of us from Scottsdale who were attending a church called Biltmore Bible Church. And we thought, gee, this, at that time, Scottsdale and Phoenix were eight miles apart. And we thought, gee, wouldn't that be wonderful to have a church like this in Scottsdale?
1: they felt called by God to plant a church on the east edge of Phoenix in the growing bedroom community of Scottsdale. This small congregation quickly grew, causing it to move from meeting in a home, to a school, then a women's club, before settling down in March of 1962 at the Scottsdale Masonic Lodge. It was also during these early days that Scottsdale Bible Church chose its name.
2: Joe Smith, who was our chairman of the board, went to the bank, and he wanted to make a deposit for the church. And the clerk says, Well, what's the name of the church? And he says, Well, we don't have a name yet. And he said, Well, where do you where do you meet? And she said, Well, we meet in Scottsdale. And she said, Well, what kind of church are you? Are you Baptist? Are you Methodist? Oh no, no, we're not in a denomination. We're just a Bible church. And she said, Okay, then it'll be Scottsdale Bible Church. And that's how we got our name. On july fifteenth,
1: nineteen sixty-two a young gifted Bible teacher named Dr. Jim Bohr was officially installed as the first senior pastor of SBC. Under Dr. Bohr's leadership, Scottsdale Bible started to accelerate its growth. So much so that in late 1963, the leadership was led to purchase five acres on McDonald Drive so that a permanent church campus could be built. 1963 is significant for another reason. That was also the year that SBC selected its first missionaries to sponsor and send out into foreign mission fields. In addition to commissioning our first missionaries, 1963 and 1964 also marked the beginning of children's programs, Sunday school, our first church choir, and the beginning of our women's ministry. In 1967, in conjunction with the construction of the educational building, Cheryl Babb was hired as SBC's first youth pastor and only one year later in 1968 a group of concerned parents saw the need and started Scottsdale Christian Academy. It remained a part of Scottsdale Bible Church's ministry until 1972 when it was ready to stand on its own two feet as an independent entity. In December of 1969, Dr. Bohr and his wife were called to serve at First Baptist Church of Lakewood, California. After eight months of praying and seeking God's will on how to fill that vacated position, The leadership of SBC asked Cheryl Babb to move from his position of youth pastor to that of senior pastor. Cheryl held that position until late 1971, when he returned back to his graduate school to complete the course requirements of his doctorate. It was also during this time that Bill Epley was hired to the new position of youth and music pastor. God's blessing on Scottsdale Bible continued, and its biblical footprint grew even deeper when the leadership brought Dr. Don Sanukian to us to become our new senior pastor on February 6, 1972. Under Pastor Sanukian's leadership, SBC quickly outgrew the facilities on McDonald Drive. God inspired the elders with a lot of forward thinking. In October of 1974, The church congregation agreed with their vision for our future and voted to purchase 20 acres of land on the corner of Miller and Shea Boulevard for the price of $212,000.
3: As you look across the street, there were a few houses. To the south, there were none. To the east, there were none. To the west, there were none. It was nothing but scrub desert, and we were told that this would soon be the center of Scottsdale, Scottsdale and Shea. And 20 years later, we looked back and said, yes, they were right. Scottsdale Bible is in the heart of Scottsdale.
1: At that time, most of the communities you see surrounding our campus today had not yet been built. It was 20 acres of raw desert. Shea was a two-lane paved road, and Miller Road was marked on the planning maps of Scottsdale, but was yet uncut. The next five years were a whirlwind of growth and activity. Bill Yarger joined the staff in June of 1975 as the associate pastor, the influence of John W. Peterson's music was felt in many services, and a much younger version of yours truly joined the staff as a youth pastor. In 1978, the decision was made to sell the McDonald Drive site to Temple Salel. January 1, 1978, New Year's Day, Mark the official groundbreaking ceremony for our new facilities here on Shea Boulevard.
4: I also remember the day we did the uh, the groundbreaking on this site. There were no streets running north and south off of Shea, uh, east of uh, Scottsdale Road, till Hayden, and so we weren't sure we were even on the right site exactly because it was out here somewhere. Miller, if you can imagine, was not even in place at that point in
1: time and none of the houses around the church were here. One year later, the inaugural Sunday morning services were held in the first building constructed, the gymnasium, which promptly earned it the beloved title of the sanctanasium. The
3: building that we had was the gymnasium, the sanctinasium, as many people called it. And so we, uh, it was great because on Sunday nights, everybody gathered together after the Sunday night service, packed up all the chairs moved them off And on Monday, it was a gym. The next week, we set up the auditorium again with the chairs, and the next week, we tore them down. So we went from sanctanasium to gymnasium every single week that we were there for many, many years.
0: I don't know about you guys, but it kind of makes me wish that I was there. It really does. And and, and I know that some of you were, at least especially as we get closer to the last 25 years. So we're going to pause there in our video right now. We're going to finish it here in just a few minutes as we talk about the last 25 years. But here's what I want you to do with these first 25 years in view. And that gave you a good snapshot of what was happening in your church at that time. I want you to look at what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, and by extension, you and me. This is so very relevant. Look at verses 2 and 3, and then verse 6 of Revelation chapter 2. It's, he says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Yet this you have... You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You know, it's interesting. Bible experts point out that the two operative nouns in these passages here, verses 2 and 3 especially, which kind of form the thrust of these words, are the words toil and patient endurance. So latch on to those two things, toil and patient endurance. And that's what the church in Ephesus did really well. They worked hard all chipping in to build the kingdom of God together in the hearts of people and in their church. And they persevered through all the ups and downs. You know, it's fascinating, that word toil there in the original Greek that the book of Revelation was written in literally means, and I get this, excessive labor and difficult work excessive labor, difficult work, and anybody who's been involved in planting a church or even building a church knows how true this is. That it takes everybody working hard and doing their part to get things going and growing. And what you need to know is that that's what happened back in Ephesus in AD 52, and it happened here in Scottsdale, In 1962, they worked hard to build the church, teaching, relating, reaching out, praying like crazy that God would bless their efforts. And that phrase, patient endurance, that occurs there twice in verse 2 and then verse 3 is amplified when it tells us that this was most seen in the church in Ephesus through their commitment to truth and their practice of righteousness. Did you catch it there between the lines? I mean, they didn't put up with evil infiltrating their church, moral compromise that was going to threaten their hard-won faith. They lived what they believed, and they followed it up with a lifestyle of righteousness that befitted followers of Christ. And in the same way, they didn't put up with strange ideas within that Roman, Greek, or even now the holdover from the Jewish culture. They didn't put up with a lot of the heresy that had crept in. No, they said every time one of those truths came in, we won't have any of it. It's interesting, in verse 6, we don't know a lot about the heresy of the Nicolaitans. I mean, commentators are kind of befuddled on that. All we know is that it wasn't consistent with the teaching of Paul and the apostles. It wasn't consistent with biblical truth, and so the church in Ephesus would have nothing to do with it. Please see this, folks. This is important for us. This church worked hard, they toiled, and they patiently endured as they focused on truth and righteousness. And as a result, God was well pleased with their efforts, and he blessed them to be the church in that not-so-friendly culture. And that's the history of the last 50 years of Scottsdale Bible. As you just saw, lots of people before you and me worked hard, and they patiently endured building this place with a lot of truth, a lot of love, and a lot of faith, so that you and I have the church that we have here today. That was the first 25 years of Scottsdale Bible Church that most of us didn't experience. But I believe that it collates well with the words to the church in Ephesus. And then, and only then, after all this hard work and perseverance, the growth years began for, the, for Scottsdale Bible Church. Uh, Right around the end of the 1970s, if you look at the numbers of our church, our church started to take off, kind of like a runaway train. It, It began to grow in a fashion that nobody had planned for and that nobody had predicted. This was way before the days of megachurches. No pastor back then started out to be a megachurch pastor or anything silly like that. They started out, as Dr. Bohr did, and then Dr. Bab and then Dr. Snookian, to be faithful men, to teach the word and to accept God from God's hand, the fruit that He would give. But God decided to bless this church in a way that we would look back and say, rather unprecedented. And so look up here on the screen, and I want us now to follow along the past 25 years and dial into what has happened that has led us up to where we are today, and then we're gonna finish Revelation. So look up, or this part of Revelation. Just look up here on the screen.
1: So Scottsdale Bible had a new address and a big new home in which to worship. The momentum of God's work through this church was moving towards warp speed. But God wanted to make sure that we stayed true to our roots and were always keeping our dependency on Him. So, only six months after moving to the Shea campus and establishing the Sanctanasium as a strong site for sincere worship and powerful Bible teaching, Dr. Don Sanukian resigned to take a teaching position at Dallas Theological Seminary.
4: This is like taking your firstborn son and sending, sending them off. And we felt like that was the right thing to do. And so the board of elders voted.
3: The vote that night, much to my surprise, was 10 to 2 that we allow Don
1: and we send Don to go to Dallas Theological Seminary. For 18 months, Scottsdale Bible Church was without a senior pastor. But God continued to bless this church with outstanding guest teachers and a growing congregation. What was interesting,
3: we began to grow, and we began to grow. The highest percentage growth time was during that 18 months that we were without a senior pastor. We've had greater numerical growth, but percentage-wise, that was a a huge percentage growth that we had.
1: And then, in February of 1981, the congregation extended a call to a 30-year-old pastor and extremely skilled Bible teacher from California to be our next senior pastor.
4: And I get this phone call from uh, Ron Goble asking if I would come and be just a guest speaker at Scottsdale Bible Church. I did not know they were looking for a senior pastor at that time. I felt the train was already moving. My desire was just to jump on the direction it was going and make sure I didn't uh, derail the whole thing.
1: And as many longtime SBC attendees know, the ministry of Scottsdale Bible Church, under the leadership of Dr. Darrell Del Husay, would continue for 25 years. Those years between 1981 and 2006 saw unprecedented growth in the depth and reach of the many ministries of SBC. It was during this time that the various buildings were built on this campus we all enjoy each Sunday. But Scottsdale Bible isn't about buildings. It's about spiritual transformation. These additional buildings were constructed for one reason and one reason only, to accommodate God's deeper work in the lives of our children, youth, and us adults. In 1984, SBC began construction of the new worship center. As the church grew, so did the number of pastors and staff needed to lead the many ministries going on each week at SBC. There are too many of them to mention each one by name, but there was one hire on January 1st, 1985 that deserves special notice. It was on that day that Ed Wilmington joined the staff as the pastor of worship and music, a position he would hold for over two decades
4: and always reminded him that i was a dream to work with and so ed believed it and so ed came but when ed came i wanted to make it very clear to ed and the church ed was uh, the pastor of worship wasn't the music director this is not the pastor of prelims and so as pastor of worship I would give input, but basically the composite of how we worshiped, the variety, the methods, the way we expressed our worship, that was all Ed's leadership. So he was indeed the author of the way we worship here at Scottsdale Bible Church, and that's why it was always such an honor, uh, and we are still very, very close
1: friends. On March 11, 1986, the first service was held in our new worship center. Moving into our permanent worship center on Miller and Shea was the catalyst God used to focus his efforts and expand his greater kingdom influence through the work he had begun here back in 1962. It was as though we had hit a state of critical mass. God's work at SBC exploded to all the points on the compass. The next 25 years would see four new churches planted by SBC, Northridge Community Church, Desert View Bible Church, Mosaic Bible Church, now known as Old Town Bible Church, and recently North Bible Church. Here at our main campus, we began contemporary video venues with services at both 9.30 and 11.10, with plans to move off campus into multi-site locations beginning in late 2012. In addition to formal church plants, members of SBC were also instrumental in starting many of the parachurch organizations that continue to make a difference in our community and around the world. New ministries were added or expanded. The counseling ministry, marriage ministry, Stevens ministry, leadership development through the Timothy Men and Wild Leadership for Women, as well as college, singles, and special needs ministries. Worldwide, the number of SBC-sponsored foreign missionaries has grown to 55 in 22 countries. And then, on January 8, 2006, Scottsdale Bible Church heard the words that didn't seem
4: possible. We specifically asked for a joyful vision for future ministry, and, and we have come to a decision. I've asked our elders' blessing to release me as senior pastor of Scottsdale Bible Church to give myself full-time to build Phoenix Seminary and build the next generation of spiritual leadership for the state of Arizona. Once
1: again, God was teaching all of us how to keep our trust in Him. He wasn't the least bit nervous about our situation and, in fact, had already provided us with a wonderful man close to all of our hearts to carry us through the interim process. That man was Larry Anderson. And now Paul says, live your life in a way that's worthy of what Jesus did for you on the cross.
4: Uh, uh, again, you look back at God's sovereignty as to, as to how things were under such total control during those interim times And the world looks at it and says, boy, this must have been a tough time for you. And then we look back at it and say, it was a wonderful time. And a person like Larry Anderson is one of the people that uh, will contribute uh, to that stability. And God slid him into that position at exactly the
1: right time. God used Larry to refocus our staff and bring calm, grace, and stability to our search process our national search for our next senior pastor took our search committee to Chagrin Falls, Ohio. It was there that we were introduced to our sixth and current pastor, Jamie Rasmussen.
0: No, in all seriousness, I I thought long and hard about what this day means for myself and for Scottsdale Bible Church. And I don't know about you, but I feel very humbled. I feel very honored.
5: What a gift it's been to have Jamie as our senior pastor these last few years. His continued commitment to the Word of God and to disciple making and to renewing our sense of passion for lost people in the community and world around us. We really do have a sense on the elder board and I think amongst the pastoral staff as well that the best years of Scottsdale Bible Church are yet to come. And he is working so diligently to help us to see that vision, to pray through it and to find God's plan for the next 50 years for Scottsdale Bible
1: Church. There's really no way in the short time we've had here today to pay justice to all the SBC members, elders, lay leaders and staff who helped shape Scottsdale Bible into the church it is today. And there are so many wonderful people who graced us with their love over the past half century who we've had to place into the arms of God. Their lives wrote a lot of this story too. Our past laid a solid foundation for our present. And who we are today and what God is wanting to do with us, to us, for us, and through us, will frame the story of our future. Today marks only the beginning of our 50th anniversary celebration. We have special events planned throughout the year, culminating in one all-church service on October 28th at Westworld. Please join us throughout 2012. As we remember, rejoice, and renew ourselves to God's calling for Scottsdale Bible Church.
0: I, I don't know about you folks, but it's, it's hard for me to take all of this in, isn't it? I mean, we're trying to condense 50 years in God's timeline and how he made this world into 16 or 17 minutes of video that you just watched in two different parts And we're trying to celebrate what God has done, as well as for those of us who are more newer to Scottsdale Bible Church to try to give you a a deep appreciation of what the Lord has done in and through this church that you now call home over the last 50 years. And one of the thoughts that hit me this week, that I, and I want to be careful I say this, but it, it, was, it was a profound thought for me, is that you know, I've been a Christian 30 years and a minister for about 20 years now, and I've been involved in a few different kinds of churches, and I've, and, and I've been you know, known a lot of different churches since I became a Christian, and there are so many churches that I've been involved in and that I've known that it would be very difficult for them to celebrate their history. I I, I know that sounds negative, but some of you have been in churches like that too, where there have been so many train wrecks, so many difficult times, so many things that you're embarrassed about or that you're ashamed about that you don't really feel like putting together a 50 or 75 or 100 year history of the church without stumbling over a bunch of things. And what hit me this week about your church, about our church, is that though we have had some very difficult times over the years, it's amazing how all 50 years, now don't miss this, have been bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ, have been bathed in his forgiveness, his grace, his movement, his hand. So even during the very difficult times, we look back now and we say, only God we say we see his hand and his movement in the midst of all of that and so here we are today able to celebrate 50 years of ministry in this valley i i just think it's a unique thing and a profound thing to be able to celebrate god's blessing this way and yet here's a second thought that hit me and this is the one i want to leave you with and then we're going to do some things as we uh as we wrap up here and that is that with great blessing comes great responsibility. Do we all understand that? With it great Blessing comes great responsibility. We, we tend to think it's the other way around. We tend to think that with great responsibility comes great blessing. You know, you work really hard, you do a lot of things in life, and, and God will bless you. Well, that's true, but the Scriptures actually reverse it on us and say that when you're blessed by God, He then puts a stamp on you that says, I now expect great responsibility out of you. You're saying, where's that? Glad you asked. Luke 12, verse 48. I don't have it on the screen, but Jesus said to everyone to whom much has been given, Given much will be required. Uh, Jesus made that really clear. And so with the great blessings and words of encouragement that God poured out on the church in Ephesus, remember that's what we're tying this to this morning, now look with me at the words of challenge that were given to this faithful, persevering, truth-oriented church as well. The words of challenge that I want you and I to heed today. Look at verses 2 to 4. The angel says, or Jesus says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, I know that these are ominous words. There's no way around that. But as you're palliating these words, don't miss the profundity of this challenge because I believe that if we will allow these words into our hearts and our minds today to at least speak to our hearts and our minds, then they will prove very relevant and friendly to us. In the midst of focusing on truth, righteousness, morality, and persevering, the church in Ephesus had very simply lost its focus on love. And we assume it means love for God and his son Jesus and love for each other. That's the context here. And some of you might be thinking right now, well, isn't this awfully harsh of God to accuse them of losing their first love? I mean, this church persevered. They focused on truth. They were righteous. I mean, they had done a lot of good. God just admitted that. And isn't it also true that love is shown when one focuses on truth and morality and righteousness and hanging in there? I mean, didn't they demonstrate their love through these things? That's how some people might push back on this. And the answer to that is yes and no. Uh, yes and no. I, I mean, certainly love is built upon truth, and certainly love will express itself at times through moral behaviors and righteousness and the like. But as you and I learned last week, love in its essence is a relational personal activity most seen in how you interact relationally with God and others. It's an interpersonal entity that involves the heart as well as the will, that involves your emotions as well as your thoughts. And that's the point here, folks, is that Jesus is telling this church that in the midst of all of her toil and hard work and perseverance, she lost her edge she lost her passion her relational dependent love when it came to jesus christ and those around her as the famous bible teacher william barclay would put it i read this in my study this week this was cool he said heresy hunting had killed love and orthodoxy had been achieved at the price of fellowship and if there's anything i need you to see today is that what happened to the church in Ephesus is possible for any God-honoring, good, righteous, truth-oriented church. It is. It's so easy in the midst of working hard and persevering and doing all the right things to actually get it wrong. Doesn't that scare you a little bit? It does for me. I was going to do an exercise, today. I'm not going to do, but, but just maybe in your mind's eye pictures, so I was going to ask, how many of you would want to have a well-done, good, and faithful servant when you eventually die and go to be with Jesus? But I think I know the answer to that. In this service, it'll be about 100%. It'll go down a little bit throughout the day, but in this service, it'll be about 100%. Because you guys love your church, you love your Lord Jesus, and, and, and you want a well-done, good, and faithful servant What I need you to see out of Revelation here is that the well-done, good, and faithful servant isn't necessarily tied to hard work. It's not necessarily tied to perseverance. It's not necessarily tied to morality, always doing the right thing. It's not necessarily tied to your righteousness. That the well-done, good, and faithful servant is tied to your love. It's tied to the affections of your heart and to whether Jesus Christ takes first place in your life in a relational sense each moment of each day. This church had lost their first love, that vibrant, relational, interactive, and personal activity that got them into the game in the first place. And so, hard work and perseverance and righteousness and truth, as indispensable as all of this is, can actually rob us of the most important thing if we're not careful our faith relationship with Jesus and our interactive love with those around us. And all I know, folks, is that this is no different than any other area of life. Amen? I mean, think about it. How many of you have ever gotten to the point in your marriage where you go, I'm just going through the motions? I, I, I mean, I'm being faithful. I'm not cheating, I'm doing all the right things, I'm showing up for dinner, I'm buying the anniversary card, I mean, I'm doing all the right things, it's just that my heart is kind of cold, and the relational interaction we had isn't there anymore, and what got us engaged isn't exactly what we have now, and you realize there's something missing. I think that's what Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus, You got all the things right, it's just that there's something cold in your love. There's something cold in your heart. You're no longer in love with me, you're in love with the work, you're in love with the righteousness, you're in love with the game, but you're not in love with me, and I have that against you. And what's interesting here, folks, is that the result of losing and or forgetting one's first love is not a loss of salvation, and it's not God abandoning us or anything like that. Isn't it interesting? It doesn't say that. No, it says the result of losing your first love is a loss of usability in the hands of God. It's our witness that is lost, it becomes greatly diminished or non-existent. So Jesus says there in verse 5 that the result will be, and I quote, to remove your lampstand from its place. So what does a lamp do? The brightness and the power of the witness, the ability to build the kingdom and see evident fruit is what is at stake when love is lost at the expense of truth and morality. And so you become an anemic, useless a rather non-prevailing church in the culture that you find yourself in. And so what do we do to ward this off? What do we do, even if some of us have found ourselves here, what do we do when this even comes close to happening? One word, and I love this word. Many Christians are threatened by this word. I love it. It's the word repent. 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 The word repent is actually a very friendly Christian term. All it means is that you're going in a direction of destruction. You're going down the wrong road, and God wants you to do a 180. He wants you to turn around. That's all the word repent means, to turn, and now start walking in the way that he wants you to walk. Just like if your kid, when he was three years old, was running toward a cliff at the Grand Canyon, and you would yell, stop! and turn around and start running toward me, because you know that's what's right for him or her. That's all God says when he uses the word repent. He says, you're about ready to run off a cliff. And so stop, turn, and come toward me. It's actually a very very friendly term. And what is it that we're to repent of here? Repent of the fact that we've lost relationship with Jesus Christ. Repent of the fact that we've stopped loving other people in the midst of all of our focus on truth and all the other things that we focus on. And so really, the word repent here in the context is about keeping your focus on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, keeping your walk with him alive and nourished. And this is something I try to focus on every day. How about you? I tell my men's Bible study that I lead that I try to wake up every single day and have my first thought be of Jesus I only know because if I don't do that, I'm going to get into my day and I'm going to start working and start managing and start sharing and start building and start planning and start doing all the things I do. And before you know it, I forget why I'm in this in the first place. So I try to have my first thought be the Lord Jesus Christ. How about you? What's your first thought each day? Where's your heart today when it comes to the future of your not only your walk with God but even your church? With this we're done. We... Uh, sat around as a staff this week and we I asked them again another key question I find myself asking the staff a lot of questions lately I think that's part of getting older you, you ask a lot more questions and you do give answers and as I was talking with our staff I asked them what do they hope to see happen through our 50 year celebration I go, what, do you, what, what do we want to see God do we landed on two things, give me a click here uh, Nick the first one is that we hope that all of you will deeply appreciate and thank God for 50 years of ministry throughout the world, that, that's what we hope we hope that even if you're brand new to the church, that you'll say, I'm in, a, I'm in an awesome church, and I love what God has done through this place. But here's the second thing we're hoping through celebrating 50 years, and that is, give me a click here, guys, and that is that we recommit ourselves to Jesus Christ, that we fall in love with him again, and what he is doing in and through us as followers of him. We actually hope that there's revival in our church as we look at what God has done and anticipate what he is going to do. But revival focused on him. So I'm going to call up our elders right now. As you guys know, I usually pray at the end of our service, uh, at the end of uh, of my message, but I'm not going to right now. We have a couple more songs that we're going to sing and have the choir do, but I'm going to call up our elders right now, and under the leadership of Jeff Goble, who is the chairman of our elders, I've asked them to spend a few moments praying for us as a church for the 50 years we're celebrating and for the 50 years that we're moving into.
5: good morning thanks Jamie Um, I don't know about you but it is an exciting day Um, and what's exciting for me is I've had the privilege of being here for 40 of these 50 years and and seeing God's story written on the hearts and the lives of the people here those who have who have left us over those years but but most exciting continuing to see him write his story of love love for God and love for other people today in the lives of the people here and the ones that we get the privilege to touch around the world and so we just want to take a moment now and, uh, and be thankful and pray, and uh, Warren, is your voice up to it?
4: I think I— yeah,
5: sure. Okay. Would you lead us to start with, Warren?
4: Father, I just thank you for the many blessings that you poured upon this church in the last 50 years. Father, we're, we're thankful for the men and women who have led us through the years, for our pastors, our directors, uh, worship leaders, um, all the people that have been here. And Father, we especially thank uh, those people who put their time and effort into uh, the many people that have come to know you, Lord. And Father, that's our our main focus and our main desire here is to reach out into our local community and throughout the world and to bring those who are unsaved to you. Father, I just thank you. Uh, We remember, uh, we rejoice. And Father, we're looking forward to the next 50 years and what you plan to do with us then.
5: Lord God, as Warren said, we just have such grateful hearts for having watched your hand at work these 50 years uh, through the lives of faithful people. Father's Jamie taught us, let us not grow cold in our love for you and for others. And I uh, pray that in 50 years' time, as people look back on today, they look back and say that the second 50-year period of SBC's history was one marked by deeper love and commitment to you and to others, and, uh, and that they find us as faithful as those who served here the first 50 years. So, Lord, God, we consecrate and commit this body uh, again to you and renew our commitment to you. And we look forward to your leadership and to our serving you, and may we bring you glory in all that we do, O Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, I would like to call the usher now to take the morning offering. So let's be clear. If you are our visitor or our guest, we ask nothing of you. Please pass it by. This is for those who call Scottsdale Bible Church their home. And uh, let me pray to receive the offering. Father God, we, uh, we come before you to continue our worship. We worship you in song. We have worshiped you uh, in teaching and learning. And uh, now, Lord, we worship you by giving back to you a small portion of that which you've given to us. We acknowledge that everything we have, all good gifts come directly from your hand intentionally into our lives. Father, as we worship you now out of our material possessions, we ask that you'd use them to build your kingdom and to bring yourself
2: glory. In Jesus' name, amen.